Action. Hello and welcome to another episode of Your Average Critics, joined as usual by Obi and Chris. Chris is uh, currently in the car, so not going to be, uh, you know, he's just listening at the moment, uh, so he's driving safely. How are you doing though, Obes? I am tired, but I am very well. How are you? Yeah, I'm all good. Are you tired from all those gains you're making? No. All <laughs> oh, right. I keep seeing like Instagram stories of you on the treadmill at like 7am. I'm like, oh I mean, my God. That does contribute, but I'm tired because I don't sleep anywhere near as much as I should. <laughs> I'll get those 40 winks, mate. Yeah, I know. Oh. Well, how tired would you be if you'd watched the world fuck itself over for 7,000 years? You very, know. very tired. That is, do you know what? That's an elite segue. I'm not even going to say what I'm going to say. <laughs> so today, uh, the big release recently is obviously Marvel's The Eternals. Um, I think it's a 25th film. I can't keep up with how I think many. It's 20, I think it's 26. 26 of the MCU. Um, this one directed by critically acclaimed Oscar winner Chloe Zhao. Um, it basically introduces us to quite a lot. Ten new heroes, new villains, a whole like new mythos around creation and everything. Um, so for the first few minutes, I'm just going to basically go into like what happens, obviously spoilers incoming, and then we'll discuss uh, the film, our reaction to it, the critical response to it, um, and yeah, uh, the rest of it. So I think the first thing to say is this film... Um, we were mis- we were misled by the trailer, which I quite like. Um, so the trailer is obviously, um, you see Ajax played by Salma Hayek run, uh, on a horse over to, um, Icarus played by Richard Madden. And basically it's like, you know, the emergence has started. Um, we've got seven days. The, uh, energy created by the snap that brought everyone back, um, is enough for this emergence. And I just assumed the emergence was the deviants. Mm. Um, so it's made clear in the trailer with Dane Whitman played by um, Kit Harrington asking uh, Gemma Chance Cersei, another Game of Thrones reference, um, that he says, why didn't you help fight Thanos? And she says, we were instructed by the Celestials not to interfere unless there were deviants involved. So the trailer very much was, in my mind, leading us to believe that uh, the reason um, that the Celestials haven't been, uh, the Eternals haven't been involved. It's because of the Deviants and the Emergence is the Deviants coming back, um, from wherever they come from due to the energy generated by the Snap. So that's what I thought. So essentially, um, Eternals, we start, I think it's 5000 BC. Um, so you've got the 10 Eternals who are Ajax, Cersei, Icarus, Kingo, Sprite, Fasos, Makari, Drig, Gilgamesh, and Thena. Um, they are created by the celestial Arashem um, and sent to Earth to fight deviants. And they are then tasked um, to keep Earth protected from the deviants until such time that Arshem recalls them back to their home planet, which I think is called Olympia. Mm. Um, so the first kind of you know, section of the film is is from 5000 BC and we sort of kind of slowly make our way towards the present day. Um, you know, they, they meet primitive humans in 5000 BC um, and then Fastos is trying to, he's the technological guy, 
he's basically like, are they ready for a steam engine? Not quite yet, mate. They've only just got the wheel. So, you know, it's very much um, these 10 heroes are, are there to help progress humanity forward and protect them from the deviants. Uh, there's also a really cool scene in Babylon, um, which is obviously like a mythological, the Hanging Gardens of Babylon, certainly one of those mythological um, seven wonders of the ancient world that people aren't quite sure where it exists. Um, and this film kind of retrofits it to say that it's because it's covered by the Domo, which is the spaceship, which kind of looks like a flying Kit Kat. Um, but <laughs> that's just me. Um, other chocolate is available. So in the present day, um, Cersei and Sprite, um, who is basically a like teenage, preteen girl, like stuck in a body. Yeah, I'd say, I'd say about 13. Yeah. Um, which is unfortunate for her. Uh, so they live together in London. Um, Cersei is like a museum curator. She's going out with Dane, uh, who is human. Um, and then uh, they're attacked by a Deviant. And then Cersei's like, shit, uh, something's happening. So she kind of goes to find the rest of the Eternals. Icarus turns up. Um, they try to find Ajax. Uh, so they all split in like the 5th century BC or something because uh, some of them started developing consciences you know druid um who can mm, control people's minds thought that i think it's the spanish invasion of mexico he basically says that these humans shouldn't be able to kill each other and, and wanted to intervene but ajax said no there's no deviants um so you've got to let them do it and he didn't like that attitude so became a hermit in the amazon and they all sort of split uh the deviants that they thought had gone so present day the back they all go to South Dakota to find Ajax, but realise that she's dead uh, and think that she's been killed by a deviant. Um, Cersei is then chosen as the leader uh, of the Eternals through an orb that goes into like her throat, and that's her way of connecting with Arishem. Um, he then reveals that the mission of the Eternals is not actually to protect uh, from the deviants, but actually to prepare her for the emergence, which is that... Earth has been essentially impregnated with the seed of a celestial, and the celestials need intelligent life uh, on a host planet. They feed off it before they then emerge and destroy that planet, which allows, you know, with that celestial, billions more people or Earths or planets are able to be created because there's a new celestial. Um, so the deviants were revealed to have been created also by the Celestials um, to ensure that they are the apex predator and that therefore humans don't have anything else to kind of yeah stop them from progressing so the Deviants at this point only really attack Eternals um, and that's why so the Deviants were developing which they weren't intended to and so the Eternals were needed to counterbalance that um, so Cersei, now the leader of the Eternals, is very much against the emergence. She is going to love Earth uh, and the people of Earth and wants to protect it and thinks that, you know, a celestial destroying Earth is not the right way to go about things. Um, it's also revealed that because half the universe was decimated, um, destroyed by Thanos, uh, that delayed the emergence. Um, and because they're all brought back, that again set it back on its path. Um, some of the Eternals are not quite on board with this plan. Um, Icarus 
is very much um, seen by many of the other Eternals as the actual leader because he's on paper the most powerful. Um, he thinks that he's very much an Arsham kind of stan and uh, loyal to the throne. Um, and so tries to stop them. He's revealed that he killed Ajax um, because Ajax was also becoming sympathetic to humans. Um, and there's a big old fight. All the deviants, uh, sorry, deviants, Eternals club together to try and allow Cersei to stop the emergence. Not all of them, not all of them, to be fair. I was about to correct myself, actually. Mm. So King goes like, fuck this, I'm, I'm out. Uh, he sort of just chills. Um, Sprite is in love with uh, Icarus, uh, so wants to help him. So um, essentially, so at this point, um, Gilgamesh, I think it is, has died, um, mm. as well as Ajax. So it is Thena, Cersei, Druig, uh, Makari, and Fastos. Um against Sprite and Icarus. Um, the, so the celestial that is being born, Tiamut, starts to come out from what I presumed it was the Pacific Ocean, only because that's the biggest ocean mass where this could probably happen. Um, but some power, the uni mind, I think they call it. Um, so there are the kind of five or six Eternals combine their powers in sort of like a Power Rangers-y way um, and she's able to stop it and turn it into marble and there's, there's left with this like half a hand emerging and half of Tiamat's giant helmet face coming out of the sea. Um, Icarus then realises, you know, sort of made a boo-boo um, and then commits, well, we think commits suicide by ironically flying too close to the sun Um Cersei has enough energy from the uni mind to turn Sprite human uh, so she can finally get rid of her um, 13-year-old body, uh, presumably also because they wouldn't be able to reuse that actress uh, if they do another film, so that's kind of clever. Um, Dane is, is sort of professing his love for Cersei. She's like, oh, you need to reconnect with your uncle, gives him a mysterious ring. And then uh, Arsham takes all the remaining Eternals uh, into his palm outside of Earth and is like, you defied me. Um, I need to see through your memories whether Earth was worth it. Um, I will make my judgment. And Arsham is known as Arsham the Judge. Um, so that's a nice little nod there. <laughs> then end. And then there's two post credit scenes. So the mid-credits one um, is Thena, Makari and Droog on the Domo, and they are visited by Pip the Troll, um, and... Can I quickly say, sorry, this is some of the worst CGI I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, it was so well, bad, considering the rest of the film was, like, pretty exceptional. But, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and then Shazam turns up. Oh, no. Um, Star <laughs> Fox turns up, uh, played by none other than One Directioner, former One Directioner, Harry Styles, um, his name is Eros. He is the brother of Thanos, apparently, though not purple. Um, mm. And Thanos, I think, was he was Titan, so he wasn't an Eternal, as far as we were aware. I don't think. Yeah, I'm unsure if a Titan is an actual thing or if a Titan just means you're from the planet Titan because his planet oh, okay. was called Titan. I don't know, but apparently, um, 
in the comic book, Thanos is a deviant, but deviants are slightly different in the comics than what they are. No, sorry. Thanos is an eternal with the deviant gene in the oh, comics, okay. and, that's, and that's why he's purple or something like that. Right, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, uh, so, yeah, so then Eros is like, hey, I think some of your buddies are in trouble. Um, I might be able to help you. Uh, and then the final post credit scene right at the end is Dane opening up this um, chest with a sword in. Uh, it's, I mean, the ebony blade, but that's only from reading up on it afterwards. And then someone off screen is like, are you ready for this? Um, and Chloe Zhao has confirmed that that was Mahershala Ali um, as Blade. So the first kind of proper uh, hint of Blade. We don't even have a confirmed date for that film to be coming out. Um, so that's quite exciting. I was sort of getting worried that because there's been no announcement relating to Blade that m- maybe it wasn't going to happen. Mm. But the fact that he's, you know, his voice at least has, has been used, it's now, you know... Uh, canon so that in a relatively quick nutshell is the eternals um i mean i've spoken for quite a while already obi give us your thoughts um my thoughts (laughs) yeah where do i start so this is films obviously is quite long um quite dense i would say as well i think that um i'll say obviously off the back i I really enjoyed it. I've seen it twice now. I've enjoyed it both times. Um, did you see the, it at a better screen? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> did that make a difference? <laughs> it did make... Uh, well, not really, actually. I, it made a difference in the fact that, oh, this looks better on a bigger screen, but not in terms of, like, how I felt when I was watching it, if that makes any sense. Okay, yeah. Um, but, um, what was I going to say? Yeah, obviously the film is... I get when people say that it's not to your typical... MCU film, I think it's like a slower pace, definitely. Like there's a lot of talking, um, not not loads of action. It's more like um, philosophical in a way, I suppose. Um, and I enjoy that aspect of it. I think that's a, I think that's really interesting. It is, and I think it's a nice change of pace from your typical Marvel film because um, I hear a lot of people saying, "Oh, it wasn't like super funny, and it wasn't as like." zippy and quippy like you would expect like like an Ant-Man film or an Iron Man film would be um, mm-hmm. and I don't mind that it isn't that because like it's good to have different tones I've said, been saying this since we started this podcast it's good to have different tones of films in a, in the, in a connected universe I think um, so yeah overall I enjoyed it I think that I really like the story and like I was saying like talking about Dune I like anything to do with like lore and, and um, like I like I really like stuff as well where these people have been here for X amount of time. They have also tied into this thing that happened in history and this thing that happened in history and this thing that happened in history. Obviously, like, mostly referring to the um, Hiroshima uh, atomic bomb. Atomic bomb? Yeah. Atomic bomb, that thing. Um, I think that's a tea. I do wish that maybe they added a couple more, like, more obvious ones as well that they put in there maybe that, like, oh, so-and-so contributed to blah, 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 blah. Also, I liked as well that... Um, uh, you've got like the little nods to like Icarus, like that whole Greek, the Greek mythology, um, flying too close to the sun, and uh, Athena, goddess of war, I like that as well. So I like how that uh, tied into like history kind of thing. Um, I enjoyed how they like um, interwove the two stories in like terms of past and present, 
But I will say, um, after watching it the second time, I feel like you could have just made this two separate films. Uh, I think you could have made the first film about the Eternals first arriving on Earth and then having to fight the Deviants and, you know, their connection with Earth and, you know, what it means to be human and blah, 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 blah. Um, and you could have focused more on the Deviants because I think they did drop the ball in terms of the Deviants and, like, their gaining consciousness and, like, um, they were just trying to survive themselves, blah, 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 because they only show that for, like, one bit and they kind of disregard it and the guy dies and, like, the next scene he's in. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel they could have done more of that. And then you could have made a second film about them finding out that actually their whole life has been a sham and their mission's been a sham and da 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 da. But you know, it's neither here nor there. Um, I really like the chemistry between the characters. I think you could tell that these guys had been together for however many amount of years. And I like that. Like, obviously, like one of the complaints of like a, a Justice League film, for example, is that like you don't really get to know the characters so they don't and like they only first meet up in the film based basically in the film that we see them in and so the the relationships aren't really quite there whereas this one they kind of like you can tell that they've all like been friends and or been family for you know thousands of years which i really enjoyed um so i think like uh sprite and um cersei had good chemistry i think icarus and cersei had good chemistry i think that especially makari and druid had really good chemistry as well and even um Ajax and Icarus as well. I think they. Were, I think. I think I accepted um, Sam Hayek as that like mother figure, which I I thought she, if anything, she would be a bit of the low point in this film because I don't think she's the strongest actress. Um, yeah, I but I do. I I found her very believable in that role, um, and I kind of wish we got a little bit more of her. I think maybe obviously she she died and I didn't see that coming, but I kind of hope there would be a bit more of her in this film. But you know, um, with with ten plus like main characters it's kind of hard to like give everyone an equal amount of screen time mm-hmm. i also think um gilgamesh and thena's relationship yes. is really interesting and, and quite cute because um i guess hollywood would never normally kind of put those two together and i don't know whether it was like ever tipped into being romantic i mean i think there was maybe a slight hint of it from thena's side particularly when crow uh so the deviant um he starts developing and takes Ajax and then Gilgamesh's power and then uses his voice um, and it's like you know they when she's tied up it's kind of a bit you know so I, I sort of got a bit of romance vibes there but um, I, I, I took it more of a companionship but yeah, I can see I think, why you would think that it's uh, it was only in that, that moment when she was being basically like you know bound by him um, at the end that I thought oh maybe this is slightly hinting at romance but for the rest of it, mm. it was like sector and you know protectees so um mm. yeah i like that relationship mm. um yeah and i think i liked like so like my two favorite scenes in the film um is probably so this my, the first one that come up was probably the one where i think they're in what used to be the what the amazon used to be or, or whatever and Thena's going through like the mad weary thing um and they're all talking about like wiping their mind and stuff, and they're all like debating it. And then Druig's like watching like genocide happen in front of his eyes, and he's like, "Oh, like I can stop this. Like why shouldn't I?" Kind of thing. And obviously, it's that point about interfering and like having free will or not having free will. Like, is it for the betterment of mankind or not? Because if you take away their free will, then they don't have a chance to like make mistakes and develop and blah blah blah. blah. Um, and I think it's really well acted by I don't know the actor's name, but the one who, the guy Barry Druig, Barry Kian. Yes. Um, he was in what was he in Dunkirk, right? Yeah, as was yeah. Harry Styles. <laughs> yeah, yeah, funnily enough. 
Um, but yeah, I thought he was really good. I liked his character a lot. Um, I thought he was, he did, he was very like, he had like a quiet confidence about him, which I quite, which I quite like. Mm. Um, uh, yeah, and I enjoyed his character. I enjoyed that scene re- a lot. Um, and my second favorite scene was also with, um, Drew in it, but the Amazon scene where they fight that, that, those deviants. I think that scene was really cool, um, like action wise. Um, and I really, really enjoyed it. Um, and obviously had like a dashes of, this is where you've got sprinkles of regular MCU in there when you've got the, uh, the valet just throwing in a couple of things, like the quips with the camera. And they're like, that made me laugh. I'm not going to lie. I know, Glenn, you weren't a fan. But, nah, mate, that was jokes. That was good. That yeah, was good. I found, I that, I found that really good. That was needed. That was needed. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah. I think it's nice to have those, those, um, those little breaks. Obviously, not all the jokes hit, but rarely ever do all the jokes hit in MCU films. So I think they hit enough, um, to kind of like give us a bit of levity amongst like the, the see the the deeper more serious tone um what else um i really enjoyed like the costume design i think the cgi was pretty amazing as well um up until the yeah. flipping troll the troll was absolutely god it's terrible um yeah but what does the troll really look like i don't know but it, it twist it looked absolutely terrible it doesn't matter what it looked like it looked really <laughs> awful <laughs> i think i think it looked like the suits were our actual practical suits as well rather yeah. than like yeah. Spider-Man or Iron Man suits, which are now just fully CGI. So they did. There was like a tangible, I don't know, like a you know, like a haptic like touch. You could touch it, and and you you could sort of see the fibers, which I think is is a big difference. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, I think yeah, I would say, and yeah, overall, I, just, I really enjoyed it. I think obviously I've kind of stopped talking now, so Chris can kind of give his opinion. But I just think like negatively, um. I think that so my main negative was the thing I said earlier about I think they didn't dive into the deviant thing enough I like them be gaining consciousness and stuff they kind of just disregarded it and then he died like one scene later or whatever next scene he was in I thought that was a bit silly um also like it didn't feel and I felt like the same with this with Shang-Chi as well obviously maybe that wasn't that was the point of Shang-Chi but it didn't feel like to me like it was a world ending event it kind of just felt like this is just happening in this at this one spot I never really got the thought the thought that like there was going to be like impending doom on the world, but then I don't know what you would do to change that feeling for me. I think I think that's valid because you essentially got this. I mean, we have no idea how tall or big these celestials are, but you know, considering the fact that uh, Arsham's head blocks out the entire horizon, they're pretty big. So the fact that Tiamat is is emerging from the Earth. Like, we saw a few of, like, the, you know, like, the earthquakes or the tsunamis. But, yeah, there's no cutaway to, I don't know, you know, Hong Kong and, and flooding or, you know, somewhere else and, and like, the actual impact. Yeah, but, on... they gave you, but they gave you a visualisation of what would happen. Yeah, but, like, I think what Obi's saying is, is because you don't actually see many of the consequences, it doesn't feel like it actually had that big an impact. Um, and maybe yeah, and also nobody really knows nobody really knows it's going to happen either like only the only people who know it's going to happen are, are the Eternals yeah, yeah I, guess, not... I think that's the biggest problem I think since you've got the Avengers films and the, the Endgame film and the Infinity War and all that I feel like the coming together of characters makes it a bit more um, meaningful while mm. here we've had unknown characters suddenly coming out of the woodwork which we haven't known about before suddenly battling a world in world ending threat supposedly mm. so i feel like that might be a hindrance to it i think maybe if you'd cut in some like maybe if it, if the uh team erupting from the earth had caused maybe some earthquakes and you maybe you cut to like different countries and it's like 
mad shit going on, like earthquakes, builders crashing, maybe something, maybe a little bit of something like that. I think maybe would have helped for me to have. Or that even like, feeling. even like a news thing where it's like, oh, yeah. there's a weird thing coming at the earth. It's only afterwards they're like, hmm, there's this strange marbling kind of thing going on. But yeah, I mean, I, I know what you. I, I I think that's a very valid point, and I did think that myself. Um, yeah. Um, and just the last thing I was going to say, which um, has been pointed out to me, but you guys feel free to to argue against this point. But I find it funny um, how obviously you're not allowed to, the Eternals aren't allowed to uh, interfere with anything um, that's not like to do with like deviance and not to do with like uh, the emergence basically and helping the emergence. But then you've got the Thanos snap, which took away half of the universe and delayed the emergence. <laughs> But they weren't asked to interfere with that and say, oh, don't do this because it can delay the emergence for fucking however many years. Yeah, that was... Well, well you, you don't know if they... If Selma Hayek's character got told anything, we just assumed she didn't, right? Well, yeah, because it didn't help. So you make the assumption that she didn't, that it didn't say anything. I, I thought that as well. I would have thought that if the emergence was delayed, like, Arshim would have been like, uh... You you've just lost half the universe. Yeah. Um. This is because it it, it uh, uh, yeah. I imagine it would have impacted not only the emergence on Earth, but because it was universally mm. you know it happening that there are emergences on other. You, you assume planets. it affects every eternal. So. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Or every celestial being born. So you would have think that the celestials would have been like, hey, we need to. Um, yeah, but also practice. would that snap, would this snap have also deleted half the celestials? Uh, I would assume that well, obviously this is based on absolutely nothing, but I would assume that celestials would be outside of that because they create kind of like create universe, not create universes, but they kind of create everything in the universe. Yeah, but, and also but, the Eternals are not not human. Yeah, but it said every living thing. It's just living things, but they're also synthetic. Are they yeah. are they living? What does, what does it mean to be human? What does it mean to be a living thing? Exactly. Mm. Mm. Um, but yeah, well, I think that's the Didn't Groot die? He's living yeah. Yeah, he's he's yeah, but but he's but he's, he's a living thing. Yeah, he's an organism, isn't he? Yeah. So the uh, yeah. Oh, what debacle! <laughs> what are your thoughts on it, Chris? Um, I mm, I stand by my point before we watched both Shang Chi and Eternals. These are two films that I don't care about and still don't really have too much passion about. Um, however. I think the slander of Rotten Tomato was very, very, very harsh um, <laughs> and very unnecessary. I, I'd probably give this film a 7 out of 10. Uh, it may even get slightly lower, slightly higher, depending on re- rewatchability for me. But um, I enjoyed it for parts. I thought it, they did well to talk about every character or as much of the, each character as they could do. Um, I agree with you both. Selma Hayek didn't have much to do. I didn't think she was bad at acting in it. I just didn't think there was enough about her when she was quite a uh, pivotal character in it or should have been a pivotal character in it. I think very early on, as soon as the Icarus turned up, I was, I'm pretty sure I was just like straight away, I was like, he's a bad guy. Um, it was too oh, really? obvious. I don't know what he did. I literally turned to Sarah and I went, I think he's evil. Um, I can't remember what he did, but he did something. I thought I, a few things ran through my mind, but not as soon as he first turned up. But like halfway through the film, I, I thought, it was, yeah, when he, he was a not bit, when he first turned up, but he, um, it was when they got to the house, I think, 
when they first got to that, um, I've forgotten her character's name. Where was Ajax. Yeah, when they got to Ajax's house, he said something or did something, and it made me think, right, he's evil. I don't know what it was. I literally just turned and said, I think he's going to be evil. Um, I'd, I'd have to rewatch it to tell you what it was. Good, good oh, he did. I think it was he wasn't reacting to her death or something. He just kind of was like very pan about it, very like nonchalant. Mm. Um, I do like the scene that he actually did react to her death. Though. I quite like, I quite enjoyed that acting. Oh yeah, I thought. Uh, do you know what? I think they all did really well actually. Mm. Um, I I do think that um, who was the geezer I was talking to you guys about? about um, is it Kuku? Kingo. Yeah, what's it? Yeah, Kamel yeah. Nanjani, yeah. I think is his name. Who? Kamel Ninjani, I think is his name. Kamel Ninjani, um, his, the first scene with him, I really liked, because I think I saw it out of context from TikTok. It was like, it seemed like really bad acting, but I almost feel like it was kind of part of the scene because he was acting within acting in that Bollywood yeah. scene. Yeah, so, he's supposed to be a bit of a. Sorry, I was going to say, he's supposed to be a bit of like a <laughs> arrogant kind of you know, superstar, isn't he? Like, it's very much camera on me. Yeah. He's, he's like, overacting, I think. Yeah. But, like, and it was just then, the bit afterwards when he's interacting with them was a bit, like, oh, bit bit false, bit forced. And, um, but afterwards, I thought, I thought he was quite, I liked his character. I liked his middle groundness of everything. I yeah, liked me the too. fact that, and I actually really liked the conflict between them all. Like, some of them saying this is completely wrong to kill six, uh, seven billion people, and others of them saying, "Well, you're not killing, you're killing seven billion people to allow, I don't know, let's say seventy trillion people, seventy trillion beings to live." Mm. I thought that that dynamic of having the argument was quite um, thought provoking, and it's good that they didn't just have. I, I did. I like that they didn't have just a split down the middle. It was kind of like some were for it, some didn't know, and some were against it. Mm. And actually, some characters were just fed up with the way they were doing things. Yeah, oh, that, um, and that's something I didn't actually clarify when I was doing my kind of summary is that the Eternals find out that they haven't actually only been alive for 7,000 years, that what happens is they get sent to planets, the emergence happens, they essentially, for another, want of another word, die, their souls go get, and then get reincarnated to do it all over again, and they find that out, and I think that's like, we need to stop this cycle. Um so whilst it is Earth that they want to protect, it's also they don't want to have to keep doing that. Mm. Yeah. I am um, also um there was a what was it? Um I didn't really understand why he disappeared for a few thousand years. Didn't really make sense to me. Um because he didn't want to keep having to lie to her. That's what I think there's only a hundred years, but uh, I think it's only a hundred yeah. years. But also yeah. I was trying to follow the timelines and I'm I'm in my head, I was like, they definitely haven't been here for 7,000 years from when they started. But maybe I was doing the math wrong. Why Because I was looking at when they arrived and when, when what year we were in. And it, it, in my head, it didn't work out. Cause I it was 5,000 BC. Yeah. Oh, was it and 2,000 AD now, aren't we? Uh, oh, sorry. I thought you said, for some reason in my head, I thought you said 575 BC. I think it did say that at one point, to be fair. Yeah, that um, was when, that was when um, I think that's when Cersei and Icarus have their nookies, is when they're in, like... Um, is it Iraq, I think they said it was, or Mesopotamia, or whatever it was. What do you guys think about this episode? I, so I, I, thought, I was like, yeah, I was like, hmm, this is a bit <laughs> a, d- a detour <laughs> from the normal MCU. Um, I guess I guess it just showed their passion, but I'm sure we could have seen it in, any, in other ways. Like, 
that scene's been removed from other countries. Um, Eternal film. I don't mind the scene, but I feel like it was a bit maybe like they could they could have been in bed together saying like I love you and kissing and stuff, but like they were like thrusting and gasping and stuff. I was like, this is a bit. <laughs> It's a bit too Yeah, Chloe, Chloe Zhao said that um, she thought Disney would reject it, but they were actually on board because she said she wanted to um, explore like a proper adult relationship and the, and the way that she wanted to portray that in the most full way is obviously through sex. Um, and, you know, there aren't really like many proper relationships within the MCU, are there? Like you get the odd kind of like tertiary wife character. None were like the two are kind of thrown in. Um, yeah. Um. What What are your guys' thoughts on the fact that in some countries they're not going to show it because of the um I sh- I I believe it's the homosexual relationship. Yeah. Well, those countries need to get into the fucking twenty first century and get over it. And to be honest, if I was Disney, I wouldn't want their fucking money anyway. Um, I uh, I echo the sentiments, and I'm also glad that Disney are standing their ground and saying no, we're not going to edit it out. Yeah, well, I mean, what, glad what we all the, agree. All right, what then. the fuck do do these countries expect? Is that you know, it's not that you watch a character. I mean, to be honest, Fasos Fa- and his husband kiss once, uh, and mm. they have a son together. Like they even it's kiss. Not, even yeah, think. they I do kiss. Yeah. You're not going to look at that and be like, oh my god, I've turned gay. Like. That's not what it is. There's, there are, you know, thousands, if not millions, of of kind of people living in fear within these countries because they can't express who they want to be, and the fact that their country censorship will not even allow that representation, it's like you're not going to stop homosexuality by not having people exposed to it. That's just not how it works. Mm. So they just, yeah. To be honest, if I was a business, I wouldn't want their. their no one want their business anyway, so they can agreed, fuck off. Agreed, and stay, agreed. stay in. The irony is, is that um, when the Eternals arrive in 5000 BC, they're probably already more advanced uh, in 5000 BC than some of these countries are right now. So, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, um, that's my little soapbox. But yeah, um, I think it's it's good. Obviously, like there wasn't, a, you know, Hassos being. Um, you know, he's like, I, I, I love my family and whatever, and, and they don't make like a huge deal out of what his orientation is, which is great. I mean, I thought it would have been interesting if, if maybe over the 7,000 years he'd had different partners of different genders, because, mm. you know, you, you think like these are not humans, they're synthetic beings. So arguably, you know, they would just love who they love rather than being kind of labelled. So that would have been interesting. Probably quite a small thing to add on to make a big difference. Um, mm. I think have, have you, I don't want to have you finished um, giving um, your review, Chris? Got a few of little bits. Um, I was a bit like, I needed a, I feel like a bit more context with the um, deviants evolving. It just suddenly came out of blue. Uh, that, that one of them could suddenly tentacle and steal powers. Um, I think it's just natural evolution, wasn't it? Fair enough. I mean, it was. I think that was. The, I think. Yeah. I think the point was that the Arishim said he made a mistake and that he gave them the capability of evolving. So over time, they just evolved. And Fair enough. Right, um, so, but quickly, I, I, sorry, Chris. I just want to get to you really quickly. Um, one thing that I did that I think is a negative, actually, quickly, is um, so Gemma Chan, so Cersei. Um, 
obviously he goes to Arisham and he reveals his whole plan, blah, blah, blah. He says he makes the Eternals without the capability of evolution so that he doesn't make the same mistake he did with the Deviants. But then Cersei learns a new power, essentially, or how her power that evolves, essentially. And I thought they were going to be like, oh, yeah. actually, we do have the power of evolution, blah, blah, blah. But they were like, nah, <laughs> they didn't talk about any of that. And then she suddenly has the power to, I guess, oh, uh, that's, change. That's the thing I want to talk about. Oh, okay. Because uh, yeah, I, I, I don't, I like the fact that she could turn something into a tree, hmm. but then it didn't really go go any further with it. Yeah, yeah, it was I weird. Thought, it was really weird. I thought that was so. Sh- I, what the hell? Yeah. yeah. My my reading of that was that she's basic. So she can basically change the state of matter, can't she? So rocks. Yeah. It's just like everything's about rocks. So like rock mm. into water, blah blah blah. But I think yeah, her evolution is that she can actually alter matter into different things so she touched a deviant changed it into a tree she touched Tiamat and made him into marvel um but yeah like you said that is an evolution and it wasn't very well explained did did they explain what the gold thing was that was put inside them no i don't think so no they just said it was a sphere i think like literally that and it it allows you to talk to the celestial yeah um but yeah, because even their thought process is evolutionary, right? The fact that they have grown to love humanity mm. is that not a you know is that not a, a symptom of of evolution? They're not just programmed to be like we must do this. The fact that they're challenging um, their authority, mm. yeah. And also, <laughs> there's just a small continuity thing, but. Um, Cersei says to Dane that she's been with um, Icarus for 7,000 years, but they only got together in 500 BC and then split up. To be fair, I think she says 5,000. Does she? But even that think, doesn't I make think sense. So. But it doesn't, yeah, you're right. Because they weren't together. <laughs> they were just, well, they were together, but they weren't a yeah. couple. So, yeah, yeah that was a bit yeah. like... I'll, I'll tell you one thing I also didn't like. Um, how easily uh, the Deviant was defeated. Mm. Yeah. I did sort of expect a little bit more because yeah, I, I she's just she's, getting she's just getting sucked up and then all of a sudden she just slices it and then done the healing factor's gone it's just dead yeah because he could have been quite a good villain if if he'd got a little bit more powerful yeah um, I will say I did like Angelina Jolie's character though you did I yeah. did I was a bit I, I was a bit worried that she was going to be in this because I don't know I just thought that oh she's going to have like either a really small role or she's going to have like She's gonna be like a complete centerpiece of the whole thing, but no, I think she they did really yeah, well with her character. In the sense so, that like she was pretty much muted in terms of her power. I think she was like a, a oh okay, yeah. Okay, fair enough. For, for a for a while. Yeah. And yeah. seeing she she brings it back and then the memory kind of messing up whatever. I mean, I don't really the whole the whole memory disease thing kind of doesn't really Makes sense to me why she suddenly starts attacking them all. Because um, I think I think it's like an yeah. Alzheimer's thing, Chris. I think mean, so. She, I think she's think having she's having a different memory from another time, so she thinks she's just fighting people oh, right. and she okay. just starts That's attacking it. them. I yeah, think. but then suddenly, at the, uh, just at the end, she's suddenly like, "Oh yeah, I'm, I'm all good now. That's all right. Was was smashing now. I remember everything." Yeah, I didn't really get that either. But but someone said to me um, that they thought that maybe when. Uh, the deviant was sucking up her power or whatever maybe he maybe he took because obviously he's able to um have other people's memories once he sucks up 
their whatever, their life force or whatever. So maybe he sucked up some of her memories, so it cleared a bit of space <laughs> the hard drive. Yeah. <clears throat> I, um, I think that's all I've got to say, really. Like, I, I don't, I think it's not, I, I wouldn't say it's overwhel- um, overwhelmingly positive, but I feel like as a Marvel film goes, 7 out of 10 is pretty good. It does a job, it answers a few questions, opens a way more doors than it answers questions. Um, what are your yeah. thoughts on the post-credit scenes? Um, what's the first one? First one was when oh, they get taken themselves. away, don't they? Yeah, when so, um, yeah, so the, like, no wait, what was the first one again? Harry Styles. That's the first one. Yeah, I mean, I I didn't know Harry Styles was going to be it. I think you boys might have mentioned it, and I just kind of. I didn't know. I did, it wasn't me because I didn't. I didn't know. Oh. I didn't I either. Love the fact he, I, I didn't really. Know, I mean, I get why they did it, but it doesn't really make sense when he when the little troll announces that Harry Styles is um, Thanos' half brother, and I was like. Why would you announce that you're one of Does them? he say half brother or did he just say brother? He says half brother, I'm pretty sure. Okay. Um but like that seems like such a weird thing to announce. The guy who destroyed half the universe, why would you announce that you're half it's half brother? But for us it's for the audience, isn't it? Um but I thought it was pretty cool and I thought his acting was alright in that. Um I guess again, he's an eternal. But because Thanos is a half deviant, half um What's, what's his rate? Uh, what was it? Well, we, me and Obi were talking earlier that I said he was a Titan, but Obi said is that just because he's from Titan? No, yeah, sorry. He's half Deviant, half Titan, or whatever a Titan person is. Purple bitch. That's what he is. That's why I think... That's why I'm saying Harry. I'm pretty sure. But yeah, he's a half Eternal, half Deviant. I mean, if your half-brother is destroying half the universe, would you not sort of be like, hey you know, try and talk him out of it, but... but well, I guess, but I guess, well, this is the this is the the thing with Thanos. Thanos is an Eternal and a Deviant, so he's he divides the line on both of them, and then I guess the bigger question is, who is Thanos' mother and father? Mm. Which is well, the Deviant, is the Eternal? And well, how did yeah, that... yeah, I mean, if Eternals are just created out of nothing, then... Presumably he's got a celestial. I mean, it, it, Thanos being half deviant, half eternal is interesting, but it's a shame that he's dead because, well, at least in this universe, is dead because that would have been an interesting, interesting thing to explore. Um, but I guess they're just going to have to wreck on it. Um, so Obi, you haven't given it a rating. What did you give it out of 10? Um, I am. Um floating in between somewhere in between a 7.5 and an 8 okay um because i'm trying to think if i enjoyed it more than shang chi i'm not sure i like them both i like them both um i think i'll get shang chi an 8 i think i'll probably give this a, i put enough probably say 7.5 yeah i mean that's the thing is this really is not your typical marvel film which i which i think is to its enormous credit um I think it's a better made film than Shang-Chi, but I was also trying to weigh up, like, what did I enjoy more? And I think, again, it sort of comes back to my Dune um, dilemma, is that Dune is a very well-made film, but I didn't, I was just a bit kind of bored. But I was never bored with this. I really liked, like we've discussed, they tie it into what's already established mythology, 
the mm. fact that Fastos saw how his technology or his aiding of technology led to the atomic bomb and he was like, nah, I'm, I'm done. The fact that Druig mm. is like, you know, debating ethics in terms of, you know, genocide. Um, and even like Sprite sort of being like, I want to have like adult relationships, but I'm trapped in this body. Yeah. Um, also like quite the, long, to be fair. Yeah, like the the whole, the, all ten of them are very different and like none of the actors, as far as I'm aware, put on any accent. They just use their own, like Barry mm. Keown's got his Irish accent and uh, Richard Madden's Scottish and Angelina Jolie and Harry Styles have their weird transatlantic thing <laughs> going on. Um, and Lauren Ridloff was using sign language because she's deaf. So that's that's all like really interesting. Um, I just want to say quickly as well. Um, I really like the way they showcast um, how like the speed stuff in this, in terms of like how she fought and stuff. I thought it was really cool compared to like uh, X Men. Flash. <coughs> well, well, yeah, actually, yeah. To be honest, um, and like compare it to like the X Men uh, Quicksilver, where it's like all like slow motion, which is good um, and enjoyable. But I enjoyed this, I think, a bit more because it just it's looks... have a different dynamic, isn't it? Yeah, how we yeah. see it. Yeah. Um, also, I've just looked it up, and I don't know where I got half brother from, but it seems like he is a brother. I'm sure he said half brother though. Um, Fair enough. But I, I, and what I really liked about this film is, like, it is just so human. It's just fundamentally about humanity and mm. philosophy, which is ironic because they ca- these characters are not human, but they're more human in that deep level than a lot of the char- you know, a lot of the heroes we've seen because. They just haven't had the chance to explore that. And that, Chris, you touched on it. Even the, the debate about, you know, this celestial being born will give life to billions of other beings. So in that regard, sacrificing one planet is sort of, you know, the little to save the large. And mm. um, I think Marvel, this is the second really interesting kind of, ethical philosophical debate that they've introduced the first being Thanos in terms of he destroyed half the universe but because he they're we're overeating and over using our resources and so it's not sustainable and so he essentially is you know like a even more militant um Greta Thunberg being like you know to maintain the resources we have we just need to cull half the beings um so I think that's a really interesting uh debate to have and, and I didn't necessarily see Icarus as like full villain he was just more like he was just doing what he was told yeah and, following orders yeah yeah um, and that's really very interesting beliefs. what's that sorry very passionate about his beliefs mm. yeah so like none of them you know they you could argue that they were all wrong or right in other regards because some people would look at Cersei and be like well why are you why are you saving humanity like you know, they haven't necessarily proved that much to you. Um, certainly, Druig would be like, well, they they kill each other <laughs> for no mm. reason. Um, so I like the fact that there was n- not necessarily a def- definite, these are the good guys, these are the bad guys. It's sort of like, you know, it depends on, on how you would argue it. Um, I also just think, Obi, you touched on the, the effects being really good. Like, the sheer, I don't know what it is, but the sheer massive scale of these celestials is mm. like really impressive to me like there's just something kind of really 
deeply unsettling about the fact that this thing, you know, like it, I think it makes you realise how small the Earth actually is. Um, mm. The fact that the Celestial was just like his one eye is like probably bigger than the Earth. And when mm. the when Tiamat's coming out of the Earth, I thought that was so cool. Um, I really liked that about it. Um, it does have its flaws. There are, you know, things that you'd like to see a bit more. But I think for introducing what it introduced, um, it's, 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 it does it really well. Um, I like the character study. There wasn't tons of action, but I think it, it sort of had that balance quite well. Um, and oh, what we? Oh yeah, go on, sorry. I was going to say, like, obviously, when you introduce beings like the Eternals and, you know, it it poses big questions. Not only why didn't you help with X, Y, Z, which they, I'm not convinced with their explanation, but hey-ho, they've got to wreck on this. But isn't Ego a Celestial? That's what I was going to say. So, like, he's already on Earth, and wasn't he, he was seeding planets, wasn't he? Who's this? I didn't hear what you said. Ego. Ego. Oh, yeah. He's a celestial, and Peter Quill's half celestial, and he was seeding planets as well, wasn't he? Yeah. In Guardians 2. So that, there's something there. And also, I now question the multiverse. So, if the celestials created everything, are there different celestials in different alternate universes, or how does, how does that fit in? Glenn, let me just say you're asking too many questions. <laughs> but that's that's my brain can only handle so much. I know, but that's what happens when you introduce like a myth, mythos like this, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. It's like okay, well that happens in this universe, but what happens is there a airstream in another universe where Tiamat does emerge? Mm. Um, yeah, I you're don't know. <laughs> well, you're not wrong. I, I think that the end credit scenes open a lot of doors, don't they? Because obviously at the end. He takes them away and he says, let's see if you were right. Mm. So maybe yeah, like he's going to show well. different multiverses. Mm. Yeah. And true. also, we didn't talk about the second one, unless you did. The second end credit scene with Dane and him looking at the sword. Yeah, we did. But what did you think of it? Because it was Blade that spoke to him. What? The voice that says, are you, are you able to handle this? That was Blade. Was it? Yeah. Mm. Oh, right. Okay, fair enough. Well, he's going to turn into, was it Black Knight or something, can he? Yeah, Black Knight. Yeah, who's meant to be technically, in one of the comic iterations, well, I guess the MCU messes it all up, because I think Thor's meant to be more powerful than Captain Marvel, but in in some of the comics, Black Knight's meant to be stronger than Thor, so that's his power level with that sword, I guess. Yeah, interesting. Uh, um, I have a quick question, sorry. Um... What did you guys think about the um, the DC references that I made? Yeah, like Superman. I was like, what the hell? Superman, yeah, Batman. It was weird. <laughs> DC's canon now, isn't it? Yeah, I find that so strange. I was like, why are they doing this? <laughs> when did they say about Batman? Um, about Alfred. About the valet, yeah. He says, oh, like Alfred. And Batman. I guess, it, I guess if you are in a world where there are genuine superheroes, it's sort of like the boys thing, where like they would probably make you know, media about that, right? And um, the Eternals is sort of using some of their characters as inspiration for certain stories. So Sprite, Tinkerbell, 
Athena, Athena. So potentially Icarus, because what there's that boy and he's like, oh, you're Superman. He's, he's like, I don't know, okay. But so like maybe, you know, that they could use that. But yeah, I, I didn't mind it. I thought it was like a respect thing, really. Mm. Sort of like, you know, we know that you exist, but we're still better than you. Um, yeah. Fair <laughs> and Star Wars, because they had a Star Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's, that's Marvel, Disney being like, hey, it's just, you know, mm. cross, uh, cross pollinate our stuff. Um, the valet thing, yeah, mm, didn't, didn't really hit well with me. Um, I thought it was too much. And I think, I, I get that you guys enjoyed the comedic aspect. For me, it did disrupt the pace a bit. And I think they, for this, this film, in my mind, they could have kept it a bit more serious and they didn't need that punctuation of humour. And I think, it, for me, it didn't work. And I know for other people it has, but for me, like when Sprite is talking to Kingo in, um, in the, in the Amazon and then like, they have sort of have like a DMC and then all of a sudden the valet is like, I've, I've got another camera. And it's that just was like, funny. Oh my that God, was funny, man. Right? You know that comedy, mate. Yeah, that was funny. I think it was needed because I think this, this film's come out of whack where seriousness is needed. Um, maybe at times when they're talking about, I, no, is it Ajax? No, whoever the Celestial is, maybe, maybe then it was less needed, but I think it needed a bit of comic relief in this film. Fair enough. Um, I think he also provided the human, a bit of a human element to it as well, because obviously, like, all, like the whole film, we're only with Eternals and Celestials and Deviants, and he did have a couple moments where he was like, um, which is to Druid, like, oh, I think we need human, we as humans need to learn from our mistakes and do better. Um, and then obviously at the end, before just before he leaves with um, with Kingo, where he says, where well, basically like, thanks him for everything they've done, like over the past yeah. ten years, kind of thing. I think it's good to have that human element to it as well. Yeah, and when he's praying as well, I thought that was quite mm. that's very yeah. human, especially being around all these godlike beings and mm. then praying, and then uh, the geezer, the eternal praying with him. Mm. Can we talk about the critical response to this film? Because I think it's very, very unfair. I don't um, understand. I really don't understand it. Currently, did, I think did, it's got 48% on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, does it say so, why it's 48%? So well, I've got a snapshot of some critical responses to this. Um, so, this one's not necessarily a negative review, but an ambitious superhero epic that soars as often as it strains. Eternals takes the MCU in intriguing and often confounding new directions. Um... Okay, fine. Uh, so then there's another one that says... Um, someone says they felt Gemma Chan was a bit wooden. I think that's incredibly unfair. Mm. Um, I thought Gemma Chan was really good in this. And if you've seen her other performances, this, you know, she's not wooden at all. I think she, she conveys quite a lot of um, humanity in not a lot of facial expression so charlotte o'sullivan from leaving standard completely disagree with you there um but yeah it just it, it's just um saying that it's it, it's got its flaws uh it's too long slow spots mid film needs more wit uh i completely disagree with that yeah i disagree um, with that as well and i think because it's just so different from what people expect from the mcu it's not zippy and yeah. quippy like it's yeah. more, more slow and methodical and I think people would just say, oh no, 
This isn't what I, what I like, what I'm used to. Fuck this, this one. This one from Linda Marich of the Jewish Chronicle. A mishmash of well-meaning yet jarringly verbose and baffling incoherent nonsense, which is just about saved by some half-decent performances. I'm sorry, but... That's what the whole MCU is. <laughs> you could literally apply that to any MCU film. I think literally. this film is being incredibly unfairly bashed because, A, Zhao has just won a Best, uh, Os- best Oscar. Best Director best Oscar. Oh, best um, yeah. And... It's just so different. But so much of these criticisms, you could level at so many other films, but they're not. And I just think it's a bit unfair. Um, I think as well, just quickly as well, this is like, obviously we talk about the the score as well being like the lowest um, of any Marvel film. I think this is as well, it's like, this film's like a victim of when it's come out as well. Because if you think like, for example, like Incredible Hulk and Thor 2 and films like that, like, they would have if they come out now they would have way lower scores than they actually have <laughs> I think yeah I mean yeah I, I just think it's it's really unfair they're not judging it to the same standard um, and therefore it's falling down mm. um, struggles to juggle its many subplots and tries to do too much and it's hefty two hours 37 minutes I'm sorry but where's your criticism of June for the exact same thing and June's still got a whole nother part I think like whilst June and Eternals are very different films they're both quite ambitious in their scope quite mm. like slow and steady and I did criticise June for that which I can understand the hypocrisy in that but like you know people are, are like throwing praise on something like June for the same thing they're criticising Eternals for and you know I just I just don't really get it like why why yeah so what are your thoughts on the criticism of it and and kind of why it might be like that way um i can think of a couple ones i could be being um what's it called what's the word i could be being rash here but like you say um i feel like i'm gonna be on this ob so go for it okay um oscar winner um female director asian director really diverse cast uh gay scene <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah i think that has a lot to do with it as much as people won't admit I think there is like an unconscious bias there, but I could be wrong. Mm. Yeah. And I, I look, I'll, I'll be, I'll be the first to say like this film. Like I gave it seven out of ten. It's nothing to write home about, but it's a decent film. Probably better than some like a handful of films in the MCU so far. I think to get such a bad response from some of those people is really unnecessary, really mm. harsh. I don't know if things have been added since they watched it. Um, that's the only thing I could think of that would give such a bad reaction. Um, I think each person had their own unique way of doing bits. Like I could say for a first, for a good portion of it, Icarus was pretty n- no emotion, but that was his character. And then mm. later on, when you see his deep down emotion, his passion for like why he's doing what he's doing, then his upset for what he did to uh, Ajax and you know, like. I think people are harsh. I think people are just unnecessarily like bullyish towards like new, new era of film. Like mm. people taking it in a new direction. People trying new things. Like you know, like I just, I just I yeah, feel like it's, but, it's not. I don't think it's fair. I mean, who who gave these people the rights to be critics and like <laughs> well, say these like similar to us? We just sort of put our shit out there and hope <laughs> people agree with it. But um. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I think 
Zhao essentially it was was on a hide into nowhere because you know Oscar winner with I mean she's only done like three films but people think she's got a definite style and there's elements of that here but you're also working within the MCU machine right but so she's tried to do something different she's introduced new themes slower pace blah 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 people criticize Marvel movies for being kind of like an off production line but just with different characters and mm. then you do something different you get criticized for it Robbie mm. Collin of the Daily Telegraph two out of five the film is constantly engaged in a kind of grit tooth authenticity theater going out of its way to show you it's doing all the things proper cinema does although none of it brings any discernible benefit whatsoever to the film at hand that's just wrong like you know she tries to use some landscapes like you know wide the wide shots with the char- the characters in the middle showing the scale the scale of the celestials i've already said i think is really impressive um themes of humanity and philosophy and, and things like that what more do you want from this robert it, this is mm. a fucking MC, it's a superhero film like, like i just it yeah it baffles me and i don't mm. know why it's making me so annoyed but it's it's it's, it's very strange i don't get it either I, also... not, I think i think maybe maybe because uh, i think a lot of most of our mindset is going towards like the real negative reasons as to why they're giving it such a poor like result mm. you know what i'm saying like mm. but yeah if it was genuine like if we saw what they're seeing then we'd be like okay yeah cool it's, it's a pretty poor film but because we're adding that we we think it's probably not for the right reasons they're giving a, a bad score it's probably more I mean, vexing i mean to be honest if if guardians of the galaxy wasn't so funny it it would not be as highly rated as it is because yeah. that ultimately is not a very yeah exactly ultimately it's not a very good film because like the first one particularly with ronan the destroyer that is not very well realized and yeah anyway so yeah. that is uh what i wanted to say about that so um oh, you... going to say Sorry, ignore me. Um, yeah, I was going to say, well, are there any other things that you guys want to talk about this? Like, well, how how do you see these people, like, where do you see the Eternals fitting into the uh, MCU in the future? Oh, sorry. One last thing I just wanted to say. Um, I really enjoyed the score. And um, little side note, the guy who did the score is the guy who did the score for Game of Thrones as well. Yes. So there are four Game of Thrones references I got in this. Two of them being actors, one of them being Cersei, and the other being Ramin Jawadi. Mm. So... Sorry, yeah. Um, in terms of people, I'm trying to think. Do I want in, any of these characters in like the future films, or maybe to like join the Avengers or something like that? Um, I don't know. Someone like Fastos would be interesting because obviously, just from a like technology side, like, and we've lost Tony Stark now, so maybe someone who's probably up there in terms of like making shit would probably be useful. I feel like useful. too technologically advanced. Guy. I feel like he's a guy who can make anything. But the way he was deconstructing or constructing that uni mind thing. The way his hand movements and the way they visualised it was very reminiscent of Tony Stark, wasn't it? You know, yeah. when he'd have yeah, Jarvis and would just flick and one piece away. Tony Stark fucking solved time travel. <laughs> so he can pretty, yeah. pretty much do anything. To yeah, I thought, like, I thought their comments about humanity and like how far they've come. I felt like the Stark family have definitely debunked what they said. Like, if you go like to, what was it, the 60s in the films, like Stark had made a flying car. Mm. Or a hovercar, or at least a good attempt at it. And then shortly after, he he had the invented idea of making that suit, 
only for his son to make it a few years later and stuff like that. Like, I feel Actually, like they missed it there. When Fastos was trying to find something to create the Uni Mind, he talked about, I don't know if he said the word bracelets, but he said like something they could wear to connect to each other. And I know at this point there were only six or seven of them. I thought, oh my God, there used to be ten of them. What if they had ten rings? And I thought that was, because obviously at the end of Shang-Chi, they're like, oh, this has been, uh, you know, the origin of this is unknown. So I thought that it would have been really cool if he had made the ten rings, they'd used it to create the uni mind, and then someone had gone back in time to, like, bury them or something. Because that would have been such a cool tie-in. Nah, I thought you were going to tie in with, like, the time travel, where there was ten of them going back in time. What, in uh, Endgame? Yeah. I thought you were going to say something like that. Oh, no, I I did just... li- yeah, I did like that idea, and I kind of wish they had... I think it would have made sense to tie it in, just like a little nod. would have been good. Did you see uh, Shang-Chi um, appears in the opening... I did see, title, yeah. ...title bit now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Woo! Um, yeah, I kind of don't think I want to see the Eternals meet up, like, team up, you know, become Avengers. I think they, they're they so separate, if that mm. makes sense. Like, yeah, there's obviously other Eternals on different planets, so they could do that as a whole side, kind of... I feel, I feel like the, there's only a handful of them they could meet anyway, really. Like, I guess the people who are left on Earth could meet the Earth, Earth Avengers, but realistically, they wouldn't. Um... And then I guess the only ones in space, I guess, were Captain Marvel, or... or Why wouldn't God. they meet the Earth Avengers? Hmm? Why wouldn't they meet the Earth Avengers? No, because they're going off on their own little adventure. And, wait, what, 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 so like I'm saying the two who are still left on Earth hmm. probably won't go seeking out, like, help to help the Avengers still. Because one of them's going to live their life as a, as a human now, and the other one is going to probably go back to Bollywood, do his acting... And he's still in two mindsets on whether they did the right or wrong thing. So to be fair, he, Kingo got sucked up with the rest of them, didn't he? Did he? To, yeah. I think yeah. with Irisham and them. Oh, so who were the three who got sucked up? Kingo? It was Kingo, Cersei, uh, Cersei and Fastos. Uh, yeah. But, like, I was going to say the, um, well, the idea now, I suppose, if they do come back or if we get the of two or whatever, that now that then free from, well, after Arisham judges them or whatever, we assume they'll be free or whatever. If they're free from Arisham's rule, then maybe that that gives them license to actually help, like the Avengers or other people and stuff. Yeah, but I feel like their if their aim is to then go to each Eternals planets and stop the others, but well, I don't know actually. It doesn't make sense why the other three didn't get on board really. So well, they 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 were going to find other Eternals, but then Star Fox turned up and is like, "Your friends are in danger," so then mm. they're going to go over to Arisham. So presumably. That's the reason that they don't get involved in any future MCU conflict. Yeah, they'll be Guardians of Galaxy version version two, mm. aren't they? Mm. Yeah, so they'll be like dealing with Ershin. What do you guys think of? I've only noticed it in the last two MCU films, but they're they're saying Shang Chi will return, Eternals will return. Like they're doing like a James Bond type thing. Like, is that? New or have I just not noticed it? They did that. I remember that's happening um, since Thanos. So fa- fa- at least at least Infinity War, where it's a Thanos will return. Oh, I think okay. they've been doing it for a little while, actually. I think even before that, actually, I think they've been doing it for a while. I've just not noticed it then. Yeah, okay. I think so. <laughs> that's fair enough. All right. 
but yeah, I mean, I liked I liked the Eternals. I hope. I mean, I can't imagine Icarus is is dead. Um, no, I'd be surprised. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'd like to see them. I'd see an Eternals too. Um, you know, hopefully. Do you know what? Maybe they should give it to Denis Villeneuve because uh, they've already had Chloe Zhao with her big, um, you know, expanses. So well, he, he thinking, loves an expanse and scale, doesn't he? <laughs> I was thinking that maybe uh, DC should get Chloe Zhao to do Justice League. <laughs> make, it, make, make it a more coherent film. <laughs> oh, release the Zhao cut. <laughs> yeah. uh, any further thoughts on... Oh, Christ, we've only got 15 minutes till we've got go Um I can stretch for 20, probably. Any more thoughts on Eternals? No. Wrong once, twice, sold. Um, let's talk about The Harder They Fall, then. Um, I don't know if you've had a chance to see this, Chris. Um, but I this, haven't, but this is what you're gonna, is this what you're going to finish on? Yeah, unless there's anything you want to discuss. No, no, no. I'll, um, I'll pop off because I need to get some shopping and bits, but you two um, chat away about this. And I'll uh, try All to right. see Cheers, Chris. Right. See, you. Peace, All right. see you later. Bye. So, Wikipedia describes The Harder They Fall as a American revisionist Western film. Um, it's directed by James Samuel um, and is produced by Jay-Z. Uh, stars an ensemble cast of Jonathan Majors, Idris Elba, Zazie Beetz, Regina King, Delroy Lindo, Lakeith Stanfield, and many others. Um, it's ostensibly a black western film um, and although it's fictional right at the beginning which was really interesting uh, they make a point of saying whilst this film is fictional these people existed and uh, I think certainly recently Idris Elba has made it his acting mission to kind of represent black cowboys he did it um, earlier in the year uh, with a modern take Trying to remember the film now, I can't remember. Concrete Cowboys. Concrete Cowboy, that's it. Yeah, so that was like the modern take. This is the uh, kind of um, old school version. Um, so essentially, there's uh, Nat, uh, is when he was a kid, uh, this kind of gangster Rufus comes to his house, kills his parents, carves a cross into his head, and he's now basically trying to get revenge on that, killing members of his gang um, and... Yeah, trying to get revenge on him. Um, there's the whole sort of gangs like in different towns, like robbing banks, trying to like uh, instill fear in people. Um, there's the old quick draws, uh, all of that sort of typical Western stuff. Um, so yeah, what, what did you think of it, Obi? Um, also, I enjoyed this film way more than I thought I was going to enjoy it. Um, I kind of, I don't know why, but I kind of let, um, I thought Concrete Cowboy was a decent film, but I didn't, um, I didn't love it. So I kind of, I don't know why, because then, apart from Idris Elba, I don't think they're connected in any way, shape or form. But I kind of just thought, oh, this is going to be okay. Like, probably not going to love it, probably not going to hate it. But I actually really, really enjoyed it. Um, I got kind of like, I don't know if you agree, but I kind of got like Tarantino vibes a little bit. Um, just from some similar, I think it was similarly shot in some of the ways, and also kind of like the 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 dialogue between the characters and how it was delivered as well. Um, I like re- I, this film. I think it's two hours and twenty minutes. I probably watched it over like a bit longer than that because I just kept rewinding 
lines that I really liked and how they were delivered and how they were spoken. Um, for example, for example, um, when <laughs> I think what's his name, Jim. I think Jim is talking about um, shoot, uh, do shooting um, uh, Cherokee Bill. And he says something along the lines of like, um, as they say, like the Book of Clarence. And then he says something, something, something. And then uh, the other Bill, Bill Pritchett, or his name was Bill something. He was like, um, "That's not a saying. And there's no Book of Clarence. I hope he, like, I hope he kills you, kind of thing, basically, because <laughs> uh, you're, you're getting on my nerves, things like that." And I think um, even like the beginning as well. Uh, well, just after the beginning with um, Nat Love's character um, with the priest and. Uh, the guy comes with the scorpion on his hand, comes to kill him. Um, and then obviously he finds out who he is and he's like pleading. And then the guy, the scorpion hand guy, he was like, please. And then um, Nat Love was like, please. And he was like, please don't. And yeah. he's like, please. And like repeating what you were saying. And it was like an eerie, like, I think um, uh, Jonathan Majors, he did this with um, uh, when he played the one who remains, he who remains or whichever it's called in Loki as well. He has like a very eerie calmness about him. And like yeah. he, he'll play it with a smileless face, but you can tell this guy's a bit unhinged. <laughs> and I really, I really enjoy watching him portray that on screen. Um, and like I say, I think he was really good in this. I think he just goes from strength to strength in everything I see him in. I think he gets stronger and stronger. Um, I really enjoyed um, Regina King's acting and her character in general. I think the scene with um, with her, uh, Lakeith Stanfield, Cherokee Bill, um, them two on the train. Uh, when mm-hmm. they when they um, free up um, what's his first Rufus, um, I think that seems really really good. Um, I rewound that like twice, watched it um, good three times. Um, just kind of really enjoyed it. And even like when Rufus is like, I think there's a couple of like cues that show kind of like what how much like power Rufus has because he just like gives Cherokee Bill one look and then he Cherokee Bill just shoots the the um, the train guy like proper quick. And then afterwards, he says, oh, who could drive the train? The little kid puts his hand up. He's like, okay, everyone but him. And then they just fucking light up everyone. I thought that was proper jokes. Yeah. Um, and what else? Yeah, Regina King as well. I think when she's um, telling that story about her sister who had polio, like, um, and she's, like, carving the apple at the same time. And I was just like, oh, this, like, is so, like, because it was, like, kind of like a monologue, basically. And it, I just thought it was so well, like, acted and well told and well, like, well paced and I think the music that went along with it as well was really good as well and that like, helped kind of like set this like unsettling mood that this woman is actually like of course obviously at that point they were talking about love and I think um stagecoach Mary she said yeah you don't know basically you don't know anything about love and she was saying like I know everything about love I, I will kill for love basically yeah I, I like talking about the music I liked the kind of anachronistic stuff they did there was bits mm. of like reggae in there mm. and like um sort of like hip-hop r&b and stuff it was like a contemporary soundtrack but they also did have the classic sort of um kind of strings you associate with with the western yeah yeah i agree completely i think the soundtrack was really was really good and i think like a lot of the time it helped um set the tone for like what that that scene was if that makes sense it like the music really matched what the scene was i think um i think i'll just like say what i'm thinking i I just enjoy that that this people there's like 95 percent a black cast in this thing in the film uh-huh. um yeah. and like obviously a, a black western story which obviously you would get in um in uh maybe like earlier times 60s 70s and whatnot but i think obviously with a far less budget and um 
like not as much um, weight behind it, I suppose. Obviously, now you get like stars and like it's not like um, a thing where it's like mimicking um, like white westerns in any way. It's kind of just like it's its own story. It's with these characters that we have taken and kind of just given them a story to kind of play along with. Um, and I really enjoyed that. Um, and yeah, what, I'm trying to think what my what my negatives might be. Um, I don't really have any major negatives to be honest. I think that I would have actually yeah. So one of the plots plots of the storyline is that um, uh, Rufus is but essentially trying to create his, make his uh, town of Redwood um, black owned basically like black owned businesses and stuff like that. Whereas mm. the the sheriff, which was, I think was a former member of his gang basically sold everything or promised everything to, excuse me, to the highest bidder, which is probably most likely going to be a white person. So I liked the idea of him, like, trying to build up that town to make it, like, a business for black people, by black people kind of thing. But I don't think they expanded on that enough. They only mentioned it maybe once. Or yeah. Once, like, one and a half times. It didn't really drive home the fact, that fact. And also, I think if they had, it might have made Rufus a more sympathetic character. Because I think they tried to make him more sympathetic at the end when he reveals like his father is abusive, da 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 da, and there's the twist of that's why he killed Nat's dad because they have the same dad. Um, but it would have helped if I thought that his motivations were a bit more. If I felt his motivations more, if that makes sense, like of the like the business stuff, and he kind of he was just like very ruthless, which made him a good villain, but it didn't make him a, a sympathetic villain. Yeah, I thought that that twist at the end I was like mm. like you could have just been like the gangster it doesn't mm. don't need to be like oh you're my half brother mm. but no <laughs> I didn't buy that I also didn't really I thought it was a bit contrived when stagecoach Mary turns up at Redwood and then she immediately gets captured and then that immediately leads to Nat Love having to come and rescue her which then sets the thing for the final showdown I was like oh, that's a bit forced but I didn't um, mind it but I see where you're coming from but I, I I enjoyed it. Um, I I think you're right with the Tarantino vibes. Particularly, I thought in um, Damon Wayans Jr.'s character, the mm. fact that he's like this this like cameo, I guess, because mm. he he wasn't in the opening. You know, that it was like um, Jonathan Majors as Nat Love. He was he didn't appear in that, so I didn't expect him to be in it. But he's like a recognizable enough face, and he has like a relatively important, although small part in the film which, you know, Tarantino does with, with characters as well. I, I remember um, there was a cameo from Jonah Hill in um, uh, Django, I think. Um, mm. Not quite oh, yeah. important. But yeah. he was also wearing a hood. Um, so, yeah. Um, yeah, I enjoyed it. I, it, was a, they, it was... In a way, it was quite generic, but I also didn't... I didn't feel like I'd seen this a thousand times, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, I'm not a much of a Western guy, to be fair. So I like, I didn't. Um, obviously, you could take this storyline and put it in modern day, and it, like without the Western stuff, and it could have the same, the same vibe. But yeah, I, I thought, to me, I, it didn't feel like it was uh, played out. I feel like it was for me, it was quite refreshing. Mm, personally, definitely. Um, yeah, I would recommend watching it. Um, it's got a good review as well. On Rotten Tomatoes, although we've just been bashing Rotten Tomatoes for the last hour and a bit. But, <laughs> but yeah, um, it's important that these stories are, are told, even if they, excuse me, are fictional. Because, um, like the film points out, 
these these characters. Some of the people are based on real people as well. Mm. Um, although the story around them is, is kind of uh, fictionalised. Mm. What are we watching for next time then? What's on your... Just quickly, um, do you want to talk about Last Night in Soho? Quickly. Oh, God, yeah, we haven't, have we? Oh, I haven't even got got my notes ready. Christ. Last Night in Soho. Uh, did you see it? I did see it. All right, why don't you uh, give us a quick summary and your thoughts whilst I... Get up. Um, summary. Okay. Uh, Eloise um, is a young lady whose mother has died um, and lives with her grandmother. She gets accepted into, I think, London Fashion School or London Arts College or I don't know what it's London Fashion College. I don't know. Um, so her mum's like, <laughs> her grandma's like, yeah, beware of London because everyone in London's fucked and everyone's going to try and kill you, basically. <laughs> um, she's like, okay. Then she's like, don't worry, Gran. <laughs> Um, <laughs> uncanny, uh, uncanny. See, uncanny. We also see that um, Eloise may or may not have the ability to see dead people, <laughs> mm-hmm. and I feel like that is unconfirmed in this film, which is what annoys me the most about this film. Um, so anyway, Un- you, you, what? I, th- I don't think there's any doubt in that. Oh, what? That she, you think she can? Yeah. Okay. Cool. They don't explain but, why. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just it, sort it, of honestly, accepted. But it really, it really annoyed me. Anyway. Uh, so she goes to London Fashion College, um, meets some girls who are like your typical mean girls. They're horrible. Um, so she ends up moving out of her her dorm and moving into a one bedroom flat on Goode Street, um, where she then experiences some sort of transportation to um, the 60s. Um, when, she, when she goes to sleep, transportation to the 60s, where she watches and also experiences um, the um, trials and tribulations of a woman called Sandy, played by Anya Taylor-Joy, and her um, trying to make it in the music in music industry, I suppose, trying to make it as a singer, um, which starts off pretty glamorous. She meets a nice guy, Matt Smith, um, who helps her out and says, I can get you a job at XYZ Place. That turns sour after a couple of days um, and turns into her basically becoming a prostitute, or not basically, becomes a prostitute, um, this haunts Eloise in her dreams and it affects her, her at first she's inspired by these dreams and it helps her like with her dresses and stuff she's making it based on this woman Sandy but then obviously when she sees like this thing turns sour and Sandy going through this trauma that obviously affects her life and she basically has like a psychological breakdown um, at which point she kind of like loses the plot basically and then there's this guy who uh, called John who is the nicest guy on earth the mm. nicest, the nicest, most patient guy I've ever seen portrayed on film, um, who is like lusting after her for some reason, even though I feel like these two don't even like know each other at all. Um, and yeah, so her life's fucked up and she goes to the police to try and get, <laughs> to try and solve a 40 year old crime or 60 year old crime. Uh-huh. Um, and they're like, they, everyone thinks she's crazy basically. And then she tries to, she's, at the same time, she's working at this bar and she sees this guy who she thinks is Matt Smith's character in the, in the present day and she accuses him of killing all these people, blah, blah, blah. Turns out this guy isn't Matt Smith, obviously. He's another character who appeared in the... In, he's a policeman who appeared in the flashbacks um, at one point trying to help Sandy's character, basically. She gets him killed, pretty much. <laughs> and then she goes back to yeah. um, her house. She's like, so fuck this, I've had enough. I'm going back to Plymouth, wherever the fuck I'm from. Um, she goes back to the flat says to the woman, yeah, um, to the woman who rented the house, Miss Collins, 
um, yeah, I need to move out. Um, and the woman's like, oh, we had the police around here because they were asking about your well-being and your mental health. Duh, 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 duh. And she's like, oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. And for some reason, uh, this woman reveals everything in terms of like the plot that she... Oh, sorry. I forgot, I forget, I forgot a key point. Eloise thinks that Sandy was murdered by this uh, Matt Smith character, Jack. That's mm. why she. That's one of the main reasons why she's going a bit mad because obviously uh, unsolved crime and this woman was done dirty and da 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 da. And she now she's dead. Turns out, um, Sandy is actually this woman who's renting the house, because um, the house um, that she's getting the visions from is the same house that this woman Sandy slept in. Da 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 da. That's why. That's why it's connected in that way. Um, and so this woman decides to just to reveals that basically she didn't actually die that night. She killed Jack and then she killed a hundred other men. And now they're hidden in the floorboards and they're the, the building and stuff. And I don't know um, how that logically makes any sense. I don't know, <laughs> but whatever. And yeah, for some reason she, she decides to reveal her whole plan. She poisons Eloise from which Eloise recover m- magically recovers from. Don't know how, um, her friend is also with her at the door. Friend comes to the door, gets stabbed. This woman stabs the friend, leaves him on the floor to die. And then uh, Eloise um, overcomes the woman, runs upstairs. Um, why? Does, I don't know why she runs upstairs. Runs upstairs. At this point, the, yeah, it's the stupid, ha- really. Yeah, the ha- at this point, the house is on fire as well. Um, then the woman runs upstairs to try and kill Eloise. Eloise sees all these ghosts. Oh, she's been seeing ghosts like from like the 30th minute of the film, like bare ghosts and that. Um, so she sees these ghosts and these ghosts are like help me help me and she's like no what are you talking about <laughs> what am I going to help you for you, you lot of rapists or whatever you lot of fucking abusers for me why would I help you and then she starts to sympathetic towards uh, Sandy again and then she like knocks the knife out of Sandy's hand or whatever and then Sandy sees the police are turned up and she's like I ain't going to prison <laughs> so then she's on the bed she's like fuck it I'm just going to die then because I ain't going to prison and then the, the girl's like, oh no, please like come with me, don't die, kind of thing. Even though she literally, literally just tried to kill you and your friend. Um, and then she's like, nah, go save save the boy. The boy, she's, she's like proper, she's proper like enthusiastic about her going to save the boy that she literally just stabbed. Anyway, she saves the kid, uh, Sandy Burns, um, Eloise's life gets, sorry, Ellie, L, well, her life gets better. And it ends with her at a fashion show, and she's doing really well at school. And then she like looks in the mirror, sees her mum again, um, and then sees um, Sandy as well. And then the film ends. From from the way you summarised that, I don't feel like you enjoyed it very much. I thought it was fine. I thought it was fine. To be fair, I thought it was fine. It's not a bad film at all by any stretch of imagination. I just. The I, the supernatural element of it needed clarifying to me because mm. I was getting annoyed with is this all in her head? But then if it's all in her head, how has she got the hickey, the love bite thing? And then how would she even know that all these things transpired? Uh, does she just have schizophrenia? Because obviously her mum suffered from mental health and maybe it's hereditary, blah, blah, blah. I just needed some clarity on that and because I, I didn't get it. It was really getting on my nerves. I um, got the impression her mum could also see people. Okay. Um, and but it led her to suicide. Um, okay. Yeah, the hickey thing doesn't actually make that much sense because she didn't actually go back in time. But um, yeah. yeah, I guess I I liked that bit. Um, I liked the editing as well, particularly when Sandy's dancing with Jack yeah. in in the, the, is it the oh yeah, I really I really enjoyed that the way they edited. It was I very the way, well yeah, done. The way they intertwined her and 
uh, Ellie and Sandy, I think was really was really well done. And I think just in terms of like colours, like visually, I think this film was was quite entertaining in that in that regard as well. Bathed in neon. I just wish we had more of Jack and Sandy because that was mm. a really interesting relationship. It goes quite quickly in this film from like her him being her manager to then her being exploited, mm. and it was quite a big jump. And then also. Um, Terence Stamp being Lindsay like that you know the Lindsay is literally in like five seconds of the the scene so I think for that to be a more shocking reveal you sort of need to know who Lindsay is a bit more because I would just presumed it was Jack and the fact that it wasn't I was like okay well I feel a bit cheated because yes you just have Sam Claflin as the young police officer but there was no indication that Terence Stamp was playing this guy. He was just walking around being a bit creepy yeah. um, and acting like Jack did. So, because we don't see a younger Lindsay any more than in that five seconds, you're you're not sort of thinking, okay, well, this guy was protecting women. Um, mm. So, yeah, I think it, he tried, um, Edgar Wright, to do a lot, and yeah. it doesn't all come off. Um, I will say as well, just quickly, I got quite bored in the middle um, when she keeps like having these breakdowns and she keeps being like followed by these ghosts who aren't actually doing anything to her but she just keeps seeing them I was kind of like okay can we at that point when she just kept getting attacked and then she goes to the library she's going mad and she goes back to school and she's going mad and then she goes to the pub and she's going mad I was like okay I get it she's distressed yeah. like can we fucking wrap it up and I was, yeah. yeah I was getting a bit um, bored at that point probably about probably to us that's probably about 20 minutes from when the film actually did end so it wasn't that big a deal but I also thought the twist of uh, Mrs. Collins being Sandy was was not that shocking either because well, yeah that was the I... first thing I thought <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. Is, is this one? <laughs> that's the first thing I thought as well because there are only two older people well three including uh, Ellie's nan there are three older people we see in this film and uh, one of them we presume is the older version of Jack even though that's wrong so then Logically, the only other person would be Sandy because we don't see anyone else back in that period of time that we would see in this present. So it had mm. to be Sandy. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I, I think he tried, and I appreciate what Edgar Wright tried, and I like the soundtrack. I like some of the performances, although the voice that Thomas and Mackenzie uses is a bit annoying. Um, yeah, I, didn't love I like John being like. I got. I drive from south to north. How else do you get from South yeah, London? Yeah, yeah, that was. Cool. And he's like, I've also come ages from home, uh, from South London. <laughs> yeah. like, his character just. Uh, I just thought his character was quite realistic, though. Yeah, just he was like all that shit that was happening to him, or and like, and like she, she clearly was not interested in him, but for some reason he was really interested in her. And then um, he goes back to hers, and then she just starts screaming and. He's breaking glass and cutting his foot, and then the next day he's like, "Oh, you're right." It's like what? And then you go to the fucking house and you get stabbed, and then yeah. the next scene you're at the bloody fashion show. I was like, "Oh, okay. well. <laughs> yeah." No, that's 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 a fair point. He's kind of like that boyfriend in the film Moxie, and he was just like the nice guy, and there was yeah. no faults with him at all. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah. What would you give it out of ten? Uh, probably give it like a six point five. Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, I gave it 7.5, but... Okay. mm, Yeah. 
between a 7 and 7.5. But the soundtrack always makes it for me. And I guess if the film is so reliant on that, then maybe that's not a good sign. Mm. But, um, so out next week is Spencer. Um, about oh, was it Diana. next week? Well, at least in my Odin. <laughs> I think it might already be out. I don't know. Um, I might see that. Um, what time's coming out at the moment? Still showing Harry Potter. What are you going to focus on? Um, I've no idea what's coming out, to be honest with you, so I'm not really sure. Um, I'll probably go see Spencer if it's, if it's available in, in my audience. I imagine it will be, because, you know, Princess Star. Yeah. It's the same director as Judy, I think. So, oh, is it? Okay. I quite like I think, that film. I don't know why I think that. I feel like I've read that somewhere. But, I quite like yeah. that film, too. So, yeah. I, ne- I never saw that, but he's basically doing the same thing again, isn't he? <laughs> mm. Just biopic about someone. But, yeah. All right. Well, uh, thank you for tuning in. You can follow us on social media. We are at uh, on Twitter as YSC Podcast 17 and Instagram as your official critics. Um, we try and do short reviews of the, at least the recent releases that we see um, so yeah feel free to check those out let us know your opinions and also uh, on Eternals should we give it to bigger review or uh, other are we right in that the critics that get paid to do this shit um, are wrong and it's too harsh so yeah do let us know and uh, tune in next time please oh sorry keep it sexy <laughs> you can say both Yeah. <laughs>